This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where Triskaidekaphobia is alive and well in the halls of the state capitol. Maybe that's why most of the lawmakers left town yesterday. There are approximately 1,000 people who work for the state as CPIs, child protection investigators, but almost half of them quit after a year. Only a fourth of them last for two years. Officials at the Department of Children and Families tell lawmakers they're working on it. Representative Ray Rodriguez continues his quest to prove higher education is a breeding ground for liberals that shames conservatives into silence. His bill requires annual surveys on intellectual freedom and viewpoint diversity on campus. Republicans in the legislature say parents deserve more choice in public schools. So Representative Chevron Jones has filed a bill giving parents the choice to keep their kids from having to take part in Florida's battery of standardized exams. On the Sunrise interview, we talk with Sarah Mueller, who has escaped from the Tallahassee press corps once before, but has inextricably returned to the scene of the crime as a reporter for Florida Politics. We'll also have your calendar of events and an update on Florida Man that includes methamphetamine, embezzlement, a sex shop in Hialeah, and an 11-foot alligator. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Friday, December 13th. Officials at the Department of Children and Families say almost half of the people hired last year as child protective investigators have already quit. Patty Medlock is Assistant Secretary for Child Welfare at DCF. She says those investigators deal with heart-wrenching and often dangerous cases. These child protective investigators go out in the middle of the night. They go out where you're 24-7. We have to go out and we are first responders. They often show up. Um, not really knowing what they're walking into, to be honest. We can get as much information as we can get, but we don't know what's going to happen until that door uh, opens. Not many people stay with us in the CPI role for very long. A turnover, this is where we are right now, 48% total. 49% of our CPIs have less than a year. Uh, 71% of our CPIs have less than two years time in class. And then 79% of senior CPIs have held those positions for less than two. So those are our folks that we depend on to train, and they're, they're also at less than 2%. So we are, we are not, again, where we want to be um, with being able to retain our staff and create an environment um, that makes this a career uh, that can work for them and that they can stay. DCF surveyed those child protective workers to find out why the turnover rate is so high. They don't think there's enough training. They're stressed out by all the drama. But Medlock says the biggest concern is that the job follows you home. Only 48% of those workers said they feel as if they have any time off with no work responsibilities. We have a big problem around work-life balance. And I can tell you, I started out my career as a PI at 22. And sometimes I look back and say, how did I, how am I still here? I mean, I'll just be honest with you. How am I still here? Because I still am certified as a PI. Um, still love to go out when I can. It's, it's a tough job, but when you have the right pieces in place, uh, we can make it. But you see, they are looking for jobs. Um, they are looking for jobs very early. They decide very early on um, that this is not going to be for them because they have no life. She may sound like Debbie Downer, but Medlock told lawmakers there is reason for hope. She says the new administration at DCF has made major changes. They're working to improve recruitment efforts and provide more professional development opportunities for the child protective investigators. The department has also implemented a merit pay system for investigators who remain on the job. For years, Florida politicians have accused the higher education system of indoctrinating students, turning young people into liberals and socialists while shaming anyone with a conservative viewpoint. 
Now they're looking for some sort of proof, and what better way than an anonymous survey? The Higher Education Subcommittee in the Florida House of Representatives has approved a bill by Representative Ray Rodriguez requiring the Board of Governors of the State University System and the State Board of Education to issue an annual report on intellectual freedom and viewpoint diversity on campus. They would do this by surveying the students. But Professor Matthew Lotta with the United Faculty of Florida at FSU says that raises all sorts of questions about cost, methodology, and academic freedom. We think that's highly problematic, and the devil is in the details. First of all, we don't see how it can be nonpartisan when the impetus behind it is fairly partisan. It's based on a set of partisan assumptions about what happens on campus. So just a couple of questions. Who would create the survey? How would the information be used? Who would evaluate it? Are there metrics we're looking to meet? There are no answers. And if the result of the survey were not to the legislature's liking, would faculty be hired and fired based on their political beliefs to change and adjust the political balance? And would faculty and students be required to take the survey? And what would happen to those who refuse? And it's certain that many would refuse. Compelled speech is as much a violation of the First Amendment as is prohibited speech. I'm not sure it would be possible to get an accurate sampling given such a survey. Finally, the cost would not be minimal, as the, bill as the bill summary says, as creating, distributing, and processing a survey for a couple of hundred thousand faculty, students, and other stakeholders is not a small undertaking. Who would pay for this? And by the way, students already evaluate their instructors and classes every semester through an anonymous survey that includes questions like, are you encouraged to think independently? The results of this survey are available to the public. We can't compel students to take it, but the majority do. As you might expect, the faculty union opposes the bill. So does Representative Jennifer Webb of St. Petersburg, who says the survey itself is problematic. It's greatly improved from last year, and I recognize um, where you're going. And I've been back and forth on this bill, honestly. Uh, the things that I have problems with is I have a problem with the intellectual survey because companies hire me to design surveys and the quality of data that you get from a survey like this, and we've talked about this, wouldn't be conducive to actually what the findings that you're hoping to gain. I think that having robust, diverse college campus experiences is very important, but the tool and what we hope to accomplish are a mismatch. But Representative Rodriguez says there is nothing wrong with his bill or the concept of a diversity survey, and he accused the faculty union of intellectual intolerance. I listened to an academic who's never commissioned a poll or a survey tell 14 elected officials who have won multiple campaigns and commissioned multiple polls and surveys that you can't commission an objective survey on something that's political. The irony of that defies description. Every one of you know that you can design an objective survey, which is what we're asking for here. And if you look at faculty unions across the state, they embrace diversity in every area except intellectual diversity. Why is that? And so I would disagree with my esteemed colleague that we are working on a set of assumptions. The statement we're making here is we don't know but we should know if there's intellectual diversity, which is why this is in the bill. Rodriguez tried to pass the bill earlier this year, but the Senate removed the language about that survey on intellectual diversity. That's just one part of the new bill, and lawmakers who oppose the survey say the rest of it's pretty good. They like the parts about creating universities of distinction, limiting the number of administrators compared to faculty, and making textbooks more affordable. 
Rodriguez could probably pass it with a unanimous vote if he removed the section about intellectual diversity, but he's going to roll the dice and hope there's been a change of heart in the state Senate. Florida's reliance on standardized testing is being challenged in the legislature. Representative Chevron Jones of West Park has filed a bill that requires parents to consent to their child's participation in the statewide and district assessment programs. House Bill 929 would also prohibit students from being penalized for not participating in those exams. It would require school districts to provide some other means for students to demonstrate their mastery of the subjects and provide alternative graduation requirements for the kids who opt out. Jones is a former teacher and says he's seen firsthand the stress that parents, teachers, and students face from the high-stakes testing in Florida. He also says the bill will reduce that anxiety, increase transparency, and recognize students as more than just data points. Some parents have been doing this for years. It's called the opt-out movement. Chevron's bill would legitimize their campaign to allow parents to pull the plug on Florida's testing machine. Next up on Sunrise, a conversation with Sarah Mueller. Bueller. Bueller, Bueller, Bueller. No, it's Mueller. She's a former member of the Capitol Press Corps who is back for another round as the new Tallahassee reporter for FloridaPolitics.com. But first, it's time to pay some bills. A lot of people give their opinions on politics and not just the talking heads on cable news. Everyone has an opinion. Sometimes a gentleman's wager can be the best way to tell how much someone believes their own spin. That's why you should check out what Predicted is doing. Predict It is like the stock market, but for politics. Instead of buying and selling oil futures, you can buy and sell shares in everything from who the Democratic nominee will be to if the president will be impeached. It's easy and only costs a few bucks to get started. Sunrise listeners can get a special introductory offer by visiting predictit.org slash promo slash F-L-A-P-O-L. Welcome back to Sunrise. Our studio guest today is Sarah Mueller, who is the newest reporter here at FloridaPolitics.com, and it is a return to Tallahassee. Welcome back, Sarah. Oh, thanks for having me. Now, we knew each other a couple of years back when you were working here in town as a radio reporter for WFSU. I, of course, am a former radio reporter, so I guess this has become the Radio Resurrection Central. <laughs> what is it that drew you back to Florida? Well, you know, I uh, connected with Peter, and he told me about the opportunity here at Florida Politics, and it seemed uh, like an exciting opportunity. And so uh, I always, you know, covered state politics. Um, you know, I covered it at Illinois here in Florida. And then in Delaware, I've been uh, covering the state legislature there for uh, more than two years. And now here I'm back in uh, Florida. What Delaware? That's just, you know, tiny state. Is, is the How different is the legislative environment up there? Oh, it's very different. Delaware is a very small state. Um, the legislature is much smaller and um, it's a lot more personal. It's very, it's a lot smaller than it is here. The state house is three floors and people actually sit in the chamber. They actually sit on the floor of the chamber in both the house and the Senate. Wow. Yeah, it's all about personal relationships And when you there. say people, is it reporters? They actually let you in the chamber? Or is it just the staffers that are sitting there on the floor? No, visitors actually sit on the floor. Really? Yeah. Wow. In this day of security and, and you know, threats and all that, they actually let real people into the chambers. Yeah. That is unique. <laughs> Very cool. Well, of course, you've been through the, the new security here, so you know that that's certainly not the way we do things in Florida. <laughs> no, they're much more suspicious of people here. <laughs> Aren't they? Yeah, well, that's, that's because we, we are Florida. We are the flake state, so it sort of works out that way. So which beats will you be covering for Florida politics? 
You know, I'm not sure. Um, I've been covering education this week, and um, I plan on um, doing a lot of uh, campaign coverage, you know, because next year is uh, an election year. Really? <laughs> Let me write that down here. <laughs> Um, I know all of us are going to be covering, um, you know, the elections, but um, I don't know if I'm going to be covering a lot of education next year. But, you know, I know a lot of uh, budget stuff, you know, I'm sure I'll be covering and, you know, I don't know what else. Okay, that's fair enough. This whole process, relocation, setting up all over again. Any tips for the folks out there and anything you've learned on the move that maybe eh, I should have known this in advance? Like, hey, it's pretty darn moist down here. Oh, God. Yeah. You know, uh, I'm definitely going to find a good hairdresser and talk to them about how to keep my hair straight because I hate the Tallahassee wave going on. Oh, yeah. No (laughs) way you can avoid that. (laughs) But, you know, I I have bought an SUV, which has been really helpful. Um, Saves a lot of money with, uh, you know, renting a big truck. So, um, you know, now I just rent a trailer and, you know, that saves a lot of money. And, um, you know, I have um, a whole bunch of boxes that I save. So I'm going to, you know, drag those out and, you know, start packing. And, you know, I have it all down, you know, so I just, um, yeah, I have it down pat now. I got you. Now, you've been back for one week. What do you think has changed in around here? I realize that's sort of unfair. You've been away for a couple of years, but, you know, there must have been some changes that you've noticed. Well, you know, I didn't notice all the construction downtown, but it seems like there was construction even in 2017. That's the same construction that you're seeing oh. right now. It's been going on the whole time. <laughs> yeah. I was wondering, I was like, wasn't there construction even then? Yeah. But I noticed there were some weird things going on with the elevators at the Capitol. They're, they're replacing the elevators and they're having problems with that because apparently they no longer make those elevators and the parts oh. and pieces are almost impossible to get. So that's oh. why you've noticed the long lines. I mean, for, for those of you who are not familiar with the Capitol, half the things seem to be shut down most of the time and they were already insufficient to handle the crowds. So right now, a lot of people are having to climb stairs, which is not making them the happiest of campers, shall we say. Well, I definitely hope that I'm going to lose weight because Delaware, you know, at the State House in Delaware, there's just three floors. And so even then I took the elevator. But here I'm having to do a lot more walking. And so I'm, I'm hoping that that's going to, you know, um, shave off some calories. Well, Sarah, I just want to tell you how glad I am that you're back in the fold. I mean, the Capitol Press Corps has been devastated by layoffs and cuts over the past few years. And To add one more person back here, especially someone who's done this before and knows what they're doing, is just a a nice change of pace. Well, I hope that I'm able to participate in press skits this year because I really enjoyed that in 2017. Oh, you will. They're still looking for folks right now. Our guest today has been Sarah Mueller, the newest reporter for FloridaPolitics.com here at the Capitol. Thanks for coming in today. Thanks for having me. On your calendar of events, Senator Ed Hooper of Clearwater, Representative Amber Mariano of Hudson, and Representative Ardean Zika of Land O'Lakes will join Pasco County officials at an annual Farm Share Holiday Food Giveaway starting at 9 this morning at Faith Baptist Church in Newport Ritchie. Florida Chief Financial Officer and State Fire Marshal Jimmy Petronas will discuss the dangers associated with Christmas trees starting at 10 o'clock in Tallahassee. They're going to be torching a tree for the TV cameras. The Miami-Dade Refugee Task Force meets at 10 on the Wolfson campus of Miami-Dade College. The Florida Blockchain Task Force meets at 1 o'clock in the Capitol. And the Financial Impact Estimating Conference meets at 1.30 to take up a ballot proposal that would make it harder to pass constitutional amendments in the future. 
And time now for the continuing saga of Florida Man, featuring embezzlement, a sex shop, meth, and an alligator. A Florida man who serves as a city commissioner in the Miami-Dade County village of El Portal is accused of embezzling more than $50,000 from the law firm where he worked as a paralegal. Harold Mathis Jr. facing more than 60 felony counts, including grand theft, organized scheme to defraud, forgery, and petty theft. He apparently used the company credit card for hotel stays and rides all over town, including a trip to a sex shop called the Caliente Adult Superstore in Hialeah. Finally, an autopsy shows a Florida man partially eaten by an alligator in Polk County was killed by meth, not the gator. The remains of 45-year-old Michael Ford were discovered in the mouth of an 11-foot alligator in Fort Meade back in June. The medical examiner's office for Polk, Hardy, and Highlands counties has just released its findings. It cited methamphetamine intoxication as the cause of death and said the alligator attack happened after Ford died. One can only imagine what effect the meth meal had on that critter. That's it for this edition of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again on Monday as we plumb the depths of Florida politics.